0: We are in 1 Samuel chapter 9, if you want to open your Bibles there. We'll continue in our study through uh, the book of 1 Samuel. And as you're making your way there, um, by way of introduction, uh, I'm reminded actually, this chapter reminds me of a, a, a time in our life in the Leavenworth home, um, 1999. Uh, my, uh, two of my three kids, Caitlin and Scotty, were uh, cast in the movie The Green Mile. Um, they were cast as brother and sister, which is handy because, uh, you know, no uh, method acted, acting required there. It's just the real deal. But at any rate, they, uh, they played the Hammersmith kids. And the, the Hammersmith kids were the uh, kids of uh, the character that Gary, that Gary Sinise played. If you've uh, seen the movie, you know there's this one particular scene where... Uh, Tom Hanks comes to see Gary Sinise, and he's curious whether or not uh, John Coffey actually committed the murder that he's been convicted of. And having some doubts, seems like such a lovable guy. And, and so to prove his point that indeed he thinks that, that John Coffey uh, killed him, uh, Gary Sinise's character... Uh, calls his son over who was playing on the swing set and um, what he, he does, he shows him his son to say, hey look, you know, look what my my dog did to my son and that guy is just like my dog and he was unpredictable and he did this heinous thing. So brings his son over, turns his head to face uh, Tom Hanks and you see there his his face is, is mangled and deformed from a, from a, a dog attack and Um, In order to have that look, um, they uh, took my son uh, down to a place called KNB Effects Group in Hollywood... Um, and uh, they put his head in a, in a plaster mold and actually did a plaster casting of his entire head. It was kind of unsettling, to be honest with you, to see him sitting there with his head encased in, in plaster, little two straws sticking out of his nose for him to breathe through, you know. Dad's waiting there just to rip this thing off, you know, if he has any problems. Scotty thought it was the coolest thing in the world. Um, and he came out of it with this cool little... Um, uh, plaster molding of his head. We still have it today. Nine-year-old Scotty sitting at home in some box. You know, there's the this, this, this picture. You know, his his little. What do they call it? A bust or whatever. And um, they used that to create the prosthetic device that they that they put on him. Well, the movie was shot on location in uh, in Tennessee. It was shot on location in several places, but the but the, these particular scenes were shot in Tennessee. And, uh, and so uh, they fly us out there, well, not me, I'm home working, as usual, my wife and the kids go uh, and have all the fun, but anyway, they fly them out there, um, and um, so, uh, anyway, they, they, they fly them out there, they're on the set, they're doing the stuff, and um, uh, there's, they're doing some local casting to fill in some... Um, some of the extra work, they, they they need some some bodies, some people. So they do local casting in Tennessee to get some people to, to come out. And, and so among the people that come out, there's this one gal. She's a mother of one of these extras. And uh, she sees uh, Brenda there with Scotty. And Scotty's now in, in you know, makeup. He'd spent several hours a day in hair and makeup. And so they see she sees him, you know, with the mangled face. And she says to my wife, she says, that is so amazing. And my wife is thinking, she's talking about the makeup, and she, and, and she says, uh-huh. She says, no. It's so amazing that they would find a little boy who actually has this engine. And my wife is looking. She says, Lady, there's a reason why we spend hours in hair and makeup every single day, you know. It was a prosthetic device. Here's the deal. She bought into the lie, and she thought the image was real. And, uh, and that's the backdrop here, 1 Samuel chapter 9, as we come to the, to the text, as we transition here from chapter 8, where the people, they, 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 they rejected God as the king over Israel. They demanded that they give him a king like all the surrounding nations had. And, you know, here in the Lord God, they had the one true living king. And rather than, the, than accepting the one true living king, well, what they really wanted was the image of a king. They bought into a lie, and they embraced the image. That's the the idea here as we come to chapter 9. So God gave them the king that they asked for from central casting. God gave them the king that was in their script. He's like, you want him, you're going to get him. And uh, what we're going to see is that Saul will be the kind of leader that they wanted and that they deserved. And we're going to meet Saul today in 1 Samuel chapter 9. Beginning in verse 1, there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bekarath, the son of Aphiah. the the, the trick is you read them fast and confident, Um, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. Uh, Verse 2, and he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul, There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. And that's not to say that he had these weird shoulder and neck that was really tall. No, what it's saying was that he was tall, dark, and handsome. Ladies, he was the full package. He was, the Bible's not given to exaggeration, and in verse two says that he was the most handsome man in Israel, and that means that He was the most handsome man in Israel. Okay, so Saul was tall, dark, handsome. He was was the full thing. He was the full package. And um, the name Saul, if you want to circle it nearby, here's what you could write. You could write asked of God. Asked of God. That's what the name Saul means. (coughs) And Saul was indeed the one that Israel had asked for. Uh, They... They were all about the image, and this guy was the image personified. I mean, we're talking, he came from a wealthy and influential family. So not only, ladies, is he good-looking, but he's rich, okay? So he comes from a, from a wealthy and influential family. He's good-looking. He stood taller than anybody else. He's the personification of the image that they wanted to have. But notice what's missing. What doesn't show up in these first two verses? God, there is no mention of God here in these first two verses in describing who Saul was and who he was all about, says nothing about his relationship with the Lord God of Israel. We hear about a man and his son, but we don't hear anything about God and his son. Simply put, there's nothing said because there's nothing to say. See, Saul looked the part, but he lacked the heart. And, and he is the physical embodiment of the nation that he now is, has been called upon to represent. Looks the part, lacks the heart. And so we continue, verse 3. Now, the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. Uh, that word lost means that they vanished or, or, or that they had perished. That it can mean either one. In this particular instance, it means a little bit of both. They're, they vanished, and, and his dad fears that they're perished or that they're going to perish. Uh, and Kish, the, Saul's dad, said to his son Saul, please take one of the servants with you and arise, go and look for the donkeys. And so he, he passed through the mountains of Ephraim and, and through the land of Shalishia, uh, uh, but they did uh, not find them. And then they passed through the land of Sh- uh, Shalim, fast and, fast and confident, Dad Shalim, and, uh, and they were not there. And then he passed uh, through the land of the Benjamites, but they did not find them. Now, I, I don't know about you, but at this point, maybe when I passed through the first land and I didn't find them, I'd be like, those donkeys are gone. You know, but, but Saul doesn't do that. He keeps looking. I mean, good on him. I mean, how many times you tell your kid, go do something, and they're kind of half-hearted. I mean, uh, go, 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 go find your, your, your pajamas, kid. You know, uh, I can't find them. And he open the door. Well, they're right there. If it was a snake, it would have bit you. It's like, imagine that. You know, they're folded up right on the top of your door. You didn't even have to look for them. And then oh, I can't find them. Well, Saul, he's looking. And, you know, he goes through all of these different lands. Um, they didn't find him. And so when they came to the land of Zuth, Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come, let us return, lest my father cease caring about the donkeys and become worried about us. I mean, we've we given it the college try and that's that's quite enough. And uh, and he said, this is his servant now speaking to Saul. He said to him, "Look now, there is in this city a man of God." Now again, they're in the land of Zoph and there, in the land of Zuf is the city of Ramah. And we we read there at the close of, of chapter seven that this is where Samuel the prophet lived. This is where he would go home to uh, on a re- after he had done his circuit of of uh, uh, you know being a prophet in all these different towns and all. And uh, and so this this the reputation of Samuel has has preceded him. And so now his servant says, "Look, there is in this city the city of Ramah." a man of God, and he is an honorable man. All that he says surely comes to pass, so let us go there. Perhaps we can sh- he can show us the way that we should go. Verse 7, And, uh, and, and then Saul said to his servant, But look, if we go, what, what shall we bring the man? For the bread in our vessels is all gone, and there is no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? Now, this, this is not to imply that Samuel only works for money. This is Saul and his servant talking about saying, look, we can't come empty-handed. I mean, we, we need to give him a little something here. This is them. This isn't Samuel. This isn't Samuel pulling a, a Reverend Pesos kind of thing, you know, where he says, you know, the Lord wants to heal you, but he ain't going to do it for free, you know? I mean, this is not this is not where he's coming from. You know, he's coming from the place of, of look, you know, I'm called by the Lord. I'm faithful to do what he's called me to do. Everything that, that, that I'm saying is that which the Lord does through me. All I say comes to pass because I'm a servant of God. It's not about the money to, to Samuel, but this is, this is uh, Saul having a concern like, well, we ought to give him, you know, it's a courtesy. We ought to, we ought to give him a little something for the effort kind of deal. Um, and, uh, and so he says, um, what do we have? And verse 8, the servant answered Saul, uh, and he said, uh, "Look, I have um, here at hand one fourth of a shekel of silver. I will give that to the man of God to tell us our way. In other words, look, he ain't getting rich here. This isn't you know one fourth of a shekel is is a is a paltry amount. But you know what? It's 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 the intention. It's the it's the intent behind the gift. It's the it's the heart of the gift. You know, um, and uh, and so." Uh, He says, I'll give that to the man of God to tell us our way. Now, verse 9, the Bible gives us its own commentary here. It says, Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he spoke, uh, Thus, let us come and go to the seer. Uh, And uh, he who is now called a prophet was formally called a seer. Now, that, that word seer, it, it's just what it sounds like. It's someone who, who sees. It's somebody who sees things prophetically, divinely, supernaturally, uh, that others don't see. And so this is just the Bible giving its own uh, commentary here <coughs> and, um, of you know, who a prophet is. Um, and so verse 10, Then Saul said to his servant, Well said, come, let us go. Um, and, and so they went to the city where the man of God was verse eleven and and as they went up the hill to the city, they met some young women going out to draw water and said to them, "Is the seer here now listen here 's the deal uh, what you 're going to see here remember saul is is tall, dark and handsome. He's the most handsome man around. Now, guys, if, if you or I asked these gals, hey, look, is the seer here? Look, here's the answer we would get. We would get an answer like, yeah, he's up there, right? I mean, that's kind of, you know, we, they, we would get maybe that. And so they go up, they run into these women. And uh, so what do the women say when they said, um, is the seer here? Um. Verse 12, and they answered them, and they said, yes, uh, there he is, uh, just ahead of you. Hurry now, for today he came to this city, because there is a sacrifice of the people today on the high place. As soon as you come into the, I mean, you can just see, you know, they just, he's like, thank thank." He wants to thing, and they're just going on. And these girls are just like, you know, you know. He's a, so as soon as you come to the city, you'll surely find him uh, before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people, see, they just go on and on. For the people will not eat until he comes, because he must uh, bless the sacrifice. Afterwards, those who, I mean, they just go on and on. They just want to talk. You know, here he is. Um And so... uh and then won't till, till he comes because he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now, therefore, go up for about this time you will find him. Again, guys, you and I would have got it. Yeah, he's up there. But, you know, the handsomest man in the world gets all this. Verse 14. And so they went up to the city, and as they were coming up into the city, there was Samuel coming out toward them on his way up to the high place. Now, verse 15, the Lord had told Samuel in his ear the day before Saul came, saying, tomorrow about this time I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him commander over my people Israel, that he may save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have looked upon my people because their cry has come to me. I want you to circle that, that phrase, I have looked upon my people. Very very telling uh, and, and anchoring our first point this morning. Um, that phrase, looked upon, it literally, the idea means to look after. That's the idea of what that, that phrase is. And, and here's the point. Even though God, even though they had rejected God, he's still looking after them. He didn't write them off. He didn't, you know, they, they had said, hey, you know what? We don't want you to be God over us. We want to have these other, you know, want to have a man be God, a uh, king over us like, you know, all the other nations. Uh, we don't want you to be our king. We want, we want a man. And even though they did this, man, he still looked after them. First point, God is faithful even when we are not. God's faithful even when we are not. Now, I don't know what you think about when, when I make that the first point, uh, but what comes to my mind is 2 Timothy 2.13, uh, which Paul, Paul said this to Timothy. He says, if we are faithless, he, God, remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. And, and I can't think of a better example of the biblical truth that, that Paul articulates in 2 Timothy than, than what we're reading right here in 1 Samuel chapter 9. I can't think of a better example of God's faithfulness. Even when we are faithless, God remains faithful. Now, again, that, that scripture, um, you guys leave it up there, 2 Timothy 2.13. If we are even, you know, if we are faithless, God remains faithful, it's often misunderstood. A lot of times people read that verse, and the attitude in reading that verse is, is you know what, God's, he's my magic eraser. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I can live however I want, and he just magically blots it out, and uh, so even if I'm faithless, he remains faithful, and so I can live any way I want. No, you can't. Um, but if you're God's child, when you do sin, God's not going to forsake you either, and that's an important distinction. See, because he he he's he's patient, he's long suffering, and he's faithful even when we are not. So, what does God do here in this situation? Because he's not okay. He's not just going to wink at sin. He's just not going to sweep it under the rug in your life. He's going to deal with the sin in your life. But, but how is God going to deal with the sin while at the same time looking after you? Well, here's what he does here in the case of the Israelites. He starts by giving them the king that they asked for. King who's all image and no substance. And, and here's the idea... What he's doing is he's giving them a a perfect specimen of the flesh that they asked for. And he's doing that for a specific reason because what he wants to do is show them this is precisely what you asked for, and he is going to fall flat on his face. And you, the nation that's following him, you're going to reap some consequences because I'm going to give you exactly what you wanted. There ain't no teacher like the burnt finger. And so, so here's the, the deal. He's going to give them, signed, sealed, delivered, packaged. You wanted, a, you wanted a, a man to be your king? How about this rich, tall, dark, handsome, perfect visual specimen of a man that, that women just fawn over and that, that every guy wants to be? And, I, and I'll, I'll bring him on the scene and, and then what's going to happen is he's going to fail but through him what I'm going to do is I'm going to set the stage... For King David, a man after my own heart. So, so this is what God does, and I love the way he sets it up. It is just, it's classic. You see it in verse 3, if you back up there. Story starts with the donkeys of Kish. Saul's out looking for donkeys. I mean, it is just the best thing. And, and you know, it seems like a total random way for this thing to be introduced, for, for, for us to meet Saul. But it's actually very fitting, and it's, and it's kind of, well, you, you see God's sense of humor in it as well. Uh, J. Vernon McGee says it this way, and, and I'll, just, I'll just preface it before you put it up on the screen. I'll just preface it by saying that J. Vernon McGee can, can, get, a, can get away with it, and I'm going to modify it a little bit. He uses a different couple of words uh, than I'm going to words, but... <laughs> Saul was out looking for the lost donkeys of his father, while the lost donkeys of Israel were out looking for a king, okay? And that's the idea here, it's just a picture, God's sense of humor, he's like, you know, here you go, you want to you see what you look like, you know, and, and the point is that, you know, these stupidly stubborn donkeys are every bit as lost as Israel, that's the picture, it can't be lost on us, stupidly stubborn donkeys, every bit as lost as the nation of Israel. But here's the point: despite Israel's choice to trust in a man, God's still going to work through their foolish choices to ultimately bring them back to Himself. See, God used, He's going to use whatever means are at His disposal. And and in your life and in my life, that's absolutely true. Because he's going to be faithful even when we are not, but he's going to use every means at his disposal to accomplish his will and his purposes. And so he'll use Saul, a, a spiritually lacking leader, to, to reach a spiritually lacking uh, nation. He'll, he'll use him, and, and he'll use sad circumstances of, of lost donkeys to get Saul where he wants him to go. And that's what's going to happen here. He's going to use these lost donkeys, this sad situation, to get, to get Saul where he needs him to go. I heard a story recently. Um, it's actually a true story. It was told by, by a, a couple of other Calvary pastors. Um, and uh, basically, here's how it went down. There was a young man in Michigan. Uh, his name was Ted. And uh, he was sitting at home. He was watching television, and a news report came on the TV about these two missionaries um, that were in Turkey that were that were killed, that were martyred. Um, and there they were; they're in Turkey, they're working to spread the gospel, and they're and they're ruthlessly murdered um, for their faith. And, uh, and it was horrible. They, they, they had tortured them before they killed them the whole bit. And, um, and so but this, he's watching the news report, and, and Ted, he can't get it out of his mind. And so as he's watching it, and, and then later as he just reflected on it, he just can't stop thinking about it. He goes to bed that night, and he can't go to sleep. And so about 2 o'clock in the morning, the Lord speaks to Ted and tells him, I'm calling you to go to Turkey and to take their place. So uh, he wrestles with this for about an hour and at about three o'clock in the morning he picks up the phone, he calls his father and he tells him the story. You know, dad, here's the story and this happened and these guys were ruthlessly murdered. God's calling me to go. Put yourself in that father's shoes, right? So his dad, knowing his son, and knowing, you know, this is the real deal. I mean, I have no doubts that he heard from God. He says, son, let me make a phone call because I got a friend who, who's in Texas and his ministry is to train guys and to equip them to go, you know, internationally serve as missionaries. This is a big deal you're talking about. Would you, if he's willing to take you, would you be willing to go through this training before you go? And his son wisely said, yeah, absolutely, I would. So he calls his friend not at 3 o'clock in the morning. He calls him the next day and uh, say, hey, do you, have, do you have a place for my son to, to come train him? I said, yeah, okay, sure, send him down, I'll, I'll train him for sure. So he goes, and he, he's training, and, and going through that, and again, this is months of training, and he's there. <clears throat> well, shortly after his son got there, there's a gal from Germany. Her name's Micaiah, and she comes, and she's going through uh, this missionary training, and in the course of their missionary training, uh, Ted and Micaiah fall in love. And so, Ted decides that, you know, he wants to propose marriage uh, to Micaiah, but he wants to get her father's blessing, and so uh, he wants to call her dad. Well, her father is German, lives in Germany, and only speaks German. Ted does not. And he doesn't want to have Micaiah translating. He's like, that's lame. You know, I want to ask her father for her, you know, his daughter's hand in marriage. And, and he, you know, he might want to say some stuff to me that he can't say through his daughter and vice versa or whatever. So he's thinking, who am I going to get to translate? So he remembers, hey, my dad back in Michigan, he's got a, he's got a friend who's German, speaks Ger- you know, speaks German. So he's like, I'll call my dad. So he calls his dad. Hey, dad, listen, you know, I'm falling in love with this gal. I want to propose to her dad, but, you know, so-and-so. Uh, is, you know, mentions the guy's name. Do you have so-and-so's number? And he says, well, son, he's, uh, he's out of the country right now. Um, but, uh, you know, and he's actually been there for quite a while. But I, I, can, I suppose I can find the, the number where he's at. And he goes, yeah, that would be great. So uh, gets him the number where he's at, and so Ted's got this guy's phone number. He goes to Makai. He's like, okay, uh, the guy, you know, he's not home. Strangely enough, he's in Germany, but he gave me the number where he's at. And she looks at the number. Hair on the back of her neck stands up. She goes, "That's my home telephone number." Right. So so he, he gets it gets more incredible. So he calls he calls her dad. Hey, you know, he put. You put so-and-so on the phone kind of thing. And Now they got the translation going, and he, and he professes his love for, for, for his daughter. Hey, I want, I want to marry her. And so his dad, or Micaiah's dad, starts asking him all the right questions that dad should ask. You know, who, what, where, when, you know, what, what are your intentions, and so on. And so he gets around to one of the questions, how are you going to provide for my daughter? Well, I said, hey, it's funny you should mention that. because. Uh, and now he starts telling him about God's call on his life and how God's called him to go to Turkey you know, where these two missionaries were murdered. And so, hey, I want to marry your daughter and I want to take her to Turkey where, the, where these two missionaries were murdered. How do you think that conversation went? Well, he heard crying on the other end of the phone. And when his father composed himself, he said, they were our friends. We translated their newsletter and published their newsletter for them. You want to talk about God? This is a true story, and, and, and just this incredible thing that, that, that what happens here as, as God is moving and working, man, God, he does this supernatural work. And, and, and here what happens is through tragedy, through loss, Saul in his situation, his father, think I've lost my, these, these donkeys, they're so precious and, 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 and all. And, and no, 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 God all the while, through the whole thing, he's moving, he's orchestrating, he's on the throne. And, 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 and here's the, the, the thing, just to kind of take a walk with. Maybe for you, metaphorically speaking, Maybe you've lost some donkeys. Maybe even today, as you come here, maybe you're in a season of loss. And you're going through, man, I've lost a job, I've lost a house, I've lost my health, I've, I, I'm, I've lost, you know, a relationship, whatever it is. And maybe, just maybe, in your life, that thing that you have lost, well, listen, maybe, maybe God's trying to, to steer you through that. Maybe, maybe God, hey, listen, He's faithful. Romans 8 tells us that we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and who are the called according to His purpose. And so if you're here today and if you're in a season of loss, metaphorically speaking, maybe you've lost donkeys and, and you're wondering, searching, and maybe God's using that to steer you, like He's steering Saul right here, right to where, man, He's called him to be. Brings us to the second point, it's this, God is sovereignly in control of the events and details of our lives. God is sovereignly in control of the events and the details of our life. Let's back it up, pick it up in verse 15. Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear, you might want to circle that, we'll come back to that. The day before Saul came, saying tomorrow about this time, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him commander over my people Israel, that he may save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people, because their cry has come to me. And So when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, There he is, the man of whom I spoke to you. This one shall reign over my people. And then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, Please tell me excuse me, where is the seer's house? Samuel answered Saul and he said, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place uh, for you shall eat with me today and tomorrow I will uh, let you go and will tell you all that is in your heart. But as for your donkeys, now he has not said anything about that yet. I mean, we're like... Hey, do-do-do-do, this is weird, you're good. And Saul's probably thinking, man, you're worth that quarter of a silver shekel thing that I'm going to give you. You just, you know, you're talking about my donkeys, I didn't even tell you about them. He says, but as for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not be anxious about them, for they have been found. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on you and on all your father's house? And Saul answered, and he said, in other words, what he's saying is the desire of Israel, look, they want a king, and he knew good and well what they're talking about. And so Samuel, uh, um, I'm sorry, and uh, Saul answered, verse 21, and he said, Am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel, and my family the least of all my families of the tribe of Benjamin? He's lying a little bit here. He's basically being, you know... He's saying, my family's the least of all the tribes. He knows who his family is. He's rich. He's wealthy. He comes from a, from a well-to-do family. He's the tallest, handsomest guy in town. So he's just being a little, you know, a little, uh, <laughs> I don't know, uh, falsely humble here. But are, are my family's not the least of the tribe, Benjamin? Why then do you speak like this uh, to me? Now, I want you to notice here. Here's the point. God is sovereignly in control of the events of our life and he's sovereignly looking, working on both ends here. And I want you to see this because it's super important. God works both sides. In verse 15, it tells us that he told Samuel in his ear the day before what he was going to do. Now, that phrase, in his ear, it literally means God uncovered his ear. And, and the picture is this, that, that he would wear a turban and God would push that, move he would uncover it, he would move the turban out of the way to speak to Samuel. And, and that's the picture of, hey, he uncovered his ear. The idea is that God spoke to Samuel directly and clearly and without obstruction. He's directly, clearly, without obstruction. And here's the point. It's because Samuel knows and he loves the Lord, God then is free to speak to him directly, clearly, without obstruction. He can speak right into his ear and Samuel can hear him. Why? Because he knows the Lord. Because he loves the Lord. Because he's dedicated to the Lord. His life is set apart. He's available to the Lord to hear when he speaks. And over and over again, we see this reflected in the Gospels. Jesus, when he was speaking, often he would say this. He would say, he who has an ear, let him hear. And so the attitude, the idea here is that Samuel had an ear to hear what God would say. My question for you is, do you? Do you have an ear to hear what God would say to you? Now hold that thought, and I want you to look and, and see again how God worked on the other side. See, because remember, with, 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 you know certainly with Samuel, he's speaking directly into his ear, but, but Saul... Saul didn't seem to have a relationship with the Lord. So how was it that God then had to speak and direct direct Saul in his life? Well, a couple of different ways that we read here. First of all, he spoke to Saul through lost donkeys. Circumstantially, he's moving Saul along just by the circumstances of his life. Secondly, he speaks to Saul through the prompting of his servant. Yeah, and, and so, you know, the, the, there's this guy to be able to, you know, the Bible talks about how there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. And, and so here he's got this guy who goes, hey, you know, I think I heard about this prophet guy that maybe we might want to talk to. Here, here's the point. If, for us, we want to be in that place where God has our ear, right, where he can speak directly to us. Now, now, that's not to say that if you're godly that God won't speak to you in these other ways, because he certainly will. I mean, the Bible, you know, is very clear. Yes, God speaks to, he speaks directly to us. He speaks into our ear through the preaching of his word, through the reading of his word. Yes, God speaks directly to us in that way. But God speaks to all of us in a multitude of ways. That's one of the, the, the ways that he speaks to us. But he also speaks to us through godly men and women. He speaks to us through practical wisdom. God speaks to us through uh, the circumstances of our life. And so with, it's, it's all of these things. He speaks to us through that still small voice where the Holy Spirit will show up and speak to you. So God communicates to us in all of these different ways. And, and so, uh, you know, I'm not suggesting that, that the only way for God to speak to you or the most holy way for God to speak to you is, you know, directly in your ear. No, He's going to speak to you in a bunch of different ways. But man, it is so immensely helpful when God has your ear. That's the point. I mean, the, it, it, it's not, you know, so much of a, of a stretch for God to be able to just show up to Samuel and go, okay, hey, listen, check it out. I'm going to talk directly to you, and I'm going to tell you, guess what's going down tomorrow? Got a guy coming to you. His name's Saul, and he's the, he's the dude, and he's the guy that, I, that I've chosen. I want you to anoint him to be the king. Of Israel. Isn't that easy? I mean, Saul doesn't have a clue yet. All he knows is he's looking for lost donkeys, and all of a sudden he finds some other guy, helps he's, you know, oh, yeah, let's go find him. He'll help us find the lost donkeys. Saul, it ain't, the, it ain't about the lost donkeys. That's a vehicle through which God is steering you. It's about something bigger than that. And so, so it is it's so immensely helpful that God is working on both sides. Turn uh, to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, I'm going to jump right into it, pick it up, verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment. So, this is a Roman soldier in the Italian regiment. We read verse 2 a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius, and when he observed him, he was afraid, and he said, what is it, Lord? And so he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He's lodging with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea, and he will tell you what you must do. Now, you know, here's the deal. That you got this guy, in, and he's, he's a devoutly uh, religious man in the sense that, that, he, that he knows there's a God. He's worshiping God. He wants, to, he wants to, to, to know him better. And what God is saying is, okay, look, what you need to know is that I, I recognize that, that you love me and that you want to have a relationship with me, and you need Jesus Christ to save you from your sins. It's 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 not unlike a, a, an exchange and an experience that happens earlier in the book of Acts where you've got this guy, this Ethiopian eunuch, who had gone down to Jerusalem to worship God. He's seeking God. He's pursuing God. And, and while he was there, apparently he picked up a, a scroll from the prophet Isaiah. He's reading it in his chariot on the way back. But he's leaving just as empty as he came. Because he came seeking God, he's reading in God's word, he's trying to come to a knowledge of God, and God recognizes that this guy is hungry for me, he's searching for me, so what's he do? Well, in that situation, he takes Philip, and Philip has already got this cranking work going on. He started this, this church uh, in, uh, in um, Samaria, and it's going off the hook, I mean, he's got Calvary Chapel, you know, Samaria is happening, they're doing three services, things are awesome, and all of a sudden, God says, hey, I got this guy on this desert road, and I need you to go talk to him. And he's like teleported. He's taken, and, and leave that work behind. I got somebody else for you to go. And he's there, and he's ministering to this guy. And, um, and and you know, the, kind of the, the side, the moral, the, the lesson is that, look, if you're honestly seeking God, you're going to find him because he's going he's to reveal himself to you. And in and, and, and every instance in the scriptures where you see someone who comes to faith in Christ, God uses a vessel, he uses a man, uses a woman to, to minister to them. And, and so there, there's this work that he wants to do. By the way, just a quick aside. Some people always talk, when you talk about the need to share the gospel, people say, well, wait a minute, what about the pygmy in Africa, you know, who's never heard of... Well, can I, can I just tell you the story of the Ethiopian eunuch? <laughs> where is Ethiopia. Africa, okay, you've got a guy who, he's a man from Africa that everybody always talks about, who's seeking God, hey, listen, God will send somebody to him, okay, God's very good at the people that are honestly seeking the Lord, they will find him, God will reveal himself to them, and so, so here in Acts, God's speaking to this man, Cornelius, he's honestly seeking God, God's like, hey, listen, you need to hook up with Peter, and here's how you do it, so he gives him that instruction. Well, you skip down to verse 9, and now God works the other end of the deal. Uh, the next day, as they went on their journey and they drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And when he became hungry, <clears throat> very hungry, and wanted to eat, uh, uh, but while they uh, made ready, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. And in it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now, he's a Jewish guy. They've got a kosher diet. They've got things they can eat and things that they have dietary restriction in, you know, according to, you know, the, the way that they're... They they live and so Peter's mindful. Hey, look, all these animals, like they're not kosher, and so this is his struggle. But and so verse fourteen, Peter says, "Not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything common or unclean." And a voice spoke to him again, the second time, "What God has called, um, I'm sorry, what God has cleansed, you must not call common." And this was done three times, and the object was taken up again into heaven. God's trying to get Peter the lesson. Look. Uh, you know don't when i you don't call something unclean that i've made clean now what he's doing is he's preparing peter right because what, what he wants him to do, what he wants him to understand is hey look there's there's a work that i'm going to do and i don't want you to be close to it because what's going to happen is these guys are going to come this delegation that cornelius has sent to go find peter bring him back to his house what he, what he doesn't want is peter going at that point oh, i can't go into your house because you guys are unclean, which was a risk. So God's working here on both sides, right? And so what happens later in the chapter, and for time's sake, I won't get into it, and you can read it if you want to, but basically, God brings these guys together, and they both share, well, here's what God said to me. Well, here's what God said to me. And you see God working on both ends to accomplish this awesome work that he wants to do. And <coughs> so so the, the issue here for us, as, as, as we read this, as we consider this, the application is, listen if we're attentive to the voice of God, well, listen, we're now in a position where we're available to be used by God. If we pay attention to the, to the voice of God. And so God's working on both sides, and, and, and it's exactly what's happening back in 1 Samuel. So if we go back to 1 Samuel, and, and God, you know, now has, has he's been leading Saul, In the sense of, hey, go look for the lost donkeys and his buddy now saying, hey, let's go up and and find Samuel. I hear about this prophet dude that's here. And so God's working on their end, steering them where they need to go. God's worked on Samuel's end in that he's got his ear and he's told him directly, hey, here's what's up. And so now they're together. Now they're on mission. Now they're going in the direction that God wants them to go in. Verse 22, now Samuel took Saul and his servant and he brought them into the hall and had them sit in the place of honor among those who were invited, and there were about 30 uh, persons. Samuel said to the cook, Bring the portion which I gave you, of which I said to you, set it apart. He had set the best portion aside. And I could go off on that, how like when God is leading and when God is working, it's the best portion that is set aside. But at any rate, that's what's happened. And so verse 24, so the cook took up the thigh with its upper part and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, here it is, what was kept back. It was set apart for you. Eat for until this time it, is not, it has been kept for you since i said in, or i 'm sorry since I said I invited the people, and so Saul ate with Samuel that day verse twenty five and when they had come down from the high place into the city, Samuel spoke with Saul on the top. Of the house, and evidently they talked for a very long time. They talked very late into the night, um, and so Saul ends up crashing there on the on the roof. Verse twenty six, and they arose early, and it was about the dawning of the day that Samuel called to Samuel on the top of the house, saying, "Get up, that I may send you on your way." And Saul arose, and both of them went outside. He and Samuel, get up, so I can send you on your way. This isn't him saying, "Hey, get up and get out." It's, it's, hey, now we got to get on mission. There's stuff that needs to happen. I need, we need, let's, there's no time like the present. Man, when God speaks, and he speaks to our hearts about that which we're going to do, the best time to obey God is right now, you know? So this is the idea. Hey, let's get up. Let's get at it. Verse 27, as they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, <clears throat> tell the servant to go on ahead of us. And he went on, but you stand here a while, that I may announce to you the word of God. Now that word, announce, is key. You might want to circle it. Literally, it means to hear, to listen to, and to obey. To hear, to listen to, and to obey. And it brings us to our third and final point. Listen, God will announce his word to us, but the question is, will we listen, will we hear, and will we obey? See, what we're going to find out with Saul is he doesn't listen so good. And he, he, he obeys even worse. I mean, there's going to be a situation where God's going to tell him, you know, here in, in the future, he's going to tell him, listen, uh, I need you to, to go in and to, to do this battle, and I need you to, to utterly destroy all of these things and <clears throat> sacrifice them to me. And, and Saul's not going to obey. Samuel's going to show up, and all of the the things that that Saul was told to sacrifice, the best of the stuff, Saul kept for himself. You know, and and so the issue is Saul here, he's being told. The the Word of God is being announced to him. The question for him is look, are you going to listen and are you going to obey? And, And again, he struggled with doing that. For us, we have to answer that question Am I going to listen and am I going to obey? Am I going to listen and am I going to obey? Because God's faithful. He's, he, even when you're not, He's faithful. And He's sovereignly in control of the events of your life, but it always comes down, it always comes to the place, are you going to listen and are you going to obey? With that in mind, you know, it's interesting. Um, the picture that's painted here, this entire chapter, I mean, we read there in verse 3 about these donkeys. And, uh, and it, it kind of seems like, oh yeah, God's got a sense of humor and he's, he's equating you know, them to donkeys and so on. That's the whole picture here. I mean, you, get, you can't miss that picture. See, the lost donkeys are a picture of the lost people of Israel. And, and, and what we read there in verse 20, Samuel says this to Saul, he says, But as for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, Do not be anxious about them, for they have been found. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I'm seeing. This three days, it's highly symbolic. Highly symbolic. And what you gotta gotta see here is that, I mean, you read through the scriptures. Go, just do a, a word study of three days through the scriptures. It'll blow your mind. But, 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 Several things, you know, Jonah, he was in the belly of the whale for three days. And then what happened? He cried out to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord and he was delivered. And Jesus said, you know, it's a, it's a perverse and, uh, and a sinful generation that asks for a sign. No, no sign's going to be given it but the sign of Jonah. Because as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, so the Son of Man will be in the belly of the earth for three days. See, the picture is Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and for my sins in our place for our sin. And uh, he suffered, he died, he was buried and he was in the tomb for three days. And at the end of three days, he rose again at conquering sin and death. The issue for us is that these donkeys, they were lost. They were lost for three days but they were found. And, and if, if you just note real quickly here, and we're going to cover this next week, but, you know, verse 2 of chapter 10 is very telling because Samuel says this. He says, the donkeys, there in the middle of verse 2, the donkeys which you went to look for, they've been found, and now your father has ceased caring about the donkeys. He's worried about you. See, the picture there is those donkeys. They they represent this lost people. And what God is saying is, look, three days, the picture of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for sins in place, in our place. They've been found. But son, now I'm worried about you. And this is what it comes down to. By the way, this is just interesting fodder. It's kind of the way my mind works. But the, the, the word for donkey, you know, the Old Testament uses a, a bunch of different words for donkeys. ton of different words for donkeys. There's, there's, there's different Hebrew words for male donkeys. There's different word, Hebrew words for female donkeys. There's different Hebrew words for strong donkeys, for slow donkeys. Uh, the Hebrew word that's used here in, uh, in 1 Samuel 9, for donkeys... It's a, it's a female donkey. Uh, it, it, it's called a she-ass. And, and so the, the thing is, is that, and, and the only reason I mention this is because uh, it's interesting, the same, if you read the, in Numbers 22 about Balaam and his donkey, it's also a female donkey that he rode. And what's the significance of that? You know, this is just the way my mind works. I'm not saying it's a direct correlation, but it's interesting to me. He's riding this female donkey, and if you remember the story about Balaam, it's this guy that basically was on his way to sin against God. He's just sort of, you know, he's, he's going in a direction he ought not to be going. And he was blind to the fact that God himself, it says he sent an angel of the Lord, but it's a Christophany, it's appearing of Jesus Christ, blocking the road. Not, and he's going he's gonna to strike him dead if he goes down this direction. Who sees him? Who sees the Lord? A donkey. A female donkey, I might add. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Men, listen to your wives. No, here's the point. Hey, three days they were saved. Those donkeys were saved. They were rescued. They were found. And, and, and so the issue is, how are we found? Well, we need to see the Lord. I mean, it's it's just that simple. And, and so I, I close with this point. Look, God, He's faithful to speak to us. He is. He's faithful even when we're faithless. He remains faithful. He's sovereignly in control of all the events in your life. And now the ball's in your court. The issue is, are you, are you going to listen? Are you going to hear? Are you going to obey? Are you going to see the Lord and respond to it? Or are you going to stubbornly... Go in your own direction. That's, that, that's the deal there. We're going to close. We're going to close partaking of communion. And, uh, and as we close, and we close in prayer, I just want to give you a challenge here today. One of a couple of things. One, listen, are you, are you here today and are you stubbornly going in the direction that you ought not to go? And, uh, and do you need to, do you need to, to stop and, and heed the voice of God today? Trust in Him. Uh, that's one. Second, second question would be: Look, are you here today? Do you know the Lord as, as your Lord and Savior? Are you found? Because maybe you're in a season of loss, and maybe you're here today, and maybe, man, in your life, you would say, "Gosh, it was." I can see a course of events have brought me here to this place, and now you got some pastor guy telling you, "Look, God loves you. He wants to know you for all of eternity in heaven." But it comes down to you trusting in him.